Hey everyone, and welcome to The Design of Everything, a podcast that uncovers people's creativity in all walks of life. I'm your host, Kyle Berseth, and this is episode number 26. A few weeks back, I posted episode 22 with oncologist and brewer Ryan Howard. We recorded the episode at his brewery, which is called Bright Ideas Brewing. After we were done recording, I was sitting at the bar having a couple of beers, talking to the bartender about the podcast. He was asking me different questions, talking about who I had had on. And he said, oh, while you're in town, you got to talk to my friend Josh. He's one of the most creative and interesting people I know. He does all sorts of creative things. And he used to be a monk. I said, I've never talked to a monk before. He said, former monk. I said, look, dude, I've never talked to anyone who's been involved in monk-related activities. Let's get him on the podcast. So after I left the brewing company, I called Josh later that night, and he couldn't have been nicer, which is kind of actually what I expected from a monk, but without former monk... But without hesitation, he said, I'd love to be on the podcast. Let's meet up tomorrow. So my guest this week is Joshua Jayindo, who became ordained as a monk in Thailand, taking a vow of celibacy, all in an effort to pursue his full potential as a human being. Since leaving the monkhood, he is now incorporating his training into his current pursuits as a chef, masseur, husband, and father. His life and creativity are guided by the belief that the mind, body, and earth are all interconnected through the transference of energy. So this is my conversation with Joshua Jainda about the design of being a monk. My name's Joshua Jainda, and I do a lot of things, kind of a, a jack of all trade, trying mm-hmm. to be a master of a few. And one of the things I, I do is private chefing, um, as well as uh, chefing in restaurants. Um, as And I also am a Thai massage body worker, um, as well as a Sherpa to- uh, A Sherpa? <laughs> yeah, well, I say Sherpa, but it's to my wife's yoga studio or to her different businesses. Okay. So, <laughs> or a schlepper, I guess you could say. Um, <laughs> And for her, I also do some of the like graphic design and arts and for us, okay. things like that. But um, kind of, yeah, just all over the place and then trying to be a good father. <laughs> That's at the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> why do you have all those interests or why, what did that stem from? Yeah, it kind of developed over time. Um, I had gotten into the culinary industry when I was pretty young, probably mm-hmm. around like 12 years old or so. Okay. And uh, for a, a middle school project uh, that everyone had to go find some type of profession. And I, I for some stupid reason, was like, yeah, I want to go work in a restaurant. And <laughs> yeah. everyone was like, no, go be a lawyer, go do something else, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. And everyone in the kitchen was like, no, don't do this, <laughs> you know. But because of my bullheadedness, um, it was just a lot of fun. And the mm-hmm. camaraderie, the the jokes and the, the environment, when you have a good environment, um, was intriguing, especially to a, a guy in puberty. Yeah. <laughs> a kid in oh, puberty is yeah, like, I'm sure. You know, yeah. So um, a lot of visceral experiences in the right. kitchen. <laughs> and um, 
And that and that uh, took took a delay because I was living in the Caribbean at the time. I grew up in Saint Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Mm-hmm. And that then, took a delay also because you were twelve. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no no uh, child labor. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I I did it voluntarily. Um, for some reason, but I, I just felt it was really interesting. It was, yeah. it was cool, and I, I had developed uh, a love of, of food or an interest in food from my mom. And although my father will say the opposite, but I got my first food poisoning from my dad, so I also just didn't Ooh. want to. I didn't want <laughs> to memories. impart that on. Yeah, yeah. No, he tried his best, but <laughs> um, and then I went to high school in Rome, Italy. Oh, uh, what part of Rome? Uh, Via Cassia in the northern part. Oh, all right. I lived in Trastevere for oh, no. uh, not high school, just okay. one semester of college. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, Rome is an amazing city. And uh, I it was an American overseas school of Rome, so it, it was uh, in the northern part of Rome. And that's because your parents got a job there? My uh, mother is a international school teacher and oh. college guidance counselor. So she has traveled a lot, and I have followed her on a few escapades yeah a college guidance counselor yep so when you were deciding i want to go into the (laughs) restaurant industry was she guiding you towards it or away from it she's always been really supportive um i while living in italy uh, was big into sports so Mm -hmm. i played a lot of volleyball or pallavolo so it's called there and i did play some calcio or soccer but the volleyball was something that i was really gunning for and so i we moved to los angeles to uh, woodland hills okay um i went to pierce university for a semester because that's an amazing volleyball program there and was playing on the beach and i was meeting people and because of me playing in italy i I knew a few of the professionals and we're just training around yeah that's um, a nice inn yeah it was a nice inn but I'm still on the shorter side. So I was, <laughs> even yeah. though I'm like six two on a good day, uh, with shoes. Right. It was still, <laughs> <laughs> it was still uh, a big, for the position I wanted to play. I wanted to play outside hitter, and that they people would just get higher faster, and mm-hmm. I thought I could, I could keep up. But it was in the long term, you know, the scouts and the, the teams would want taller. Guys. Yeah. So the positions for someone of my size. I would either be, well, it's called libero, or someone who um, is more of a defenseman or a setter. And mm-hmm. I just, I wanted to slam the ball. You know, <laughs> yeah, you the, go for the thing. glory. Yeah, go for the glory, yeah. <laughs> um, and then afterwards, I, I had gone through a period of just trying to discover what it is I really want to do. Because if I got injured or anything happened, you know, you just, there's a, sports has a lot of um, insecurities. Of I course, say, yeah. In terms of professional security. And I cooking has always been there, so I, I just oh, I'm going to go back to cooking. So I got a job at a, a Maggiano's. Oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. And um, learn the basics. You learn the basics, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, people had kind of geared me to say, "You got to go to the CIA. Got to go to the okay. Institute of America." Yeah. And my mother was, of course, you got to go, got to go there or somewhere like that. Um, and that's what happened. I, I then went to. Uh, CIA and pursued an associate's degree there. And during the first and second years, there's a break period where you have to go on an externship. And my mother was living in Thailand at the time. So I uh, went there yeah. and uh, got my got a place um, accepted to be an externship, externship program or in the, in the externship program. And 
uh, I love Thailand. So I, I had a Thai girl at the time, a Thai who became a fiance. And, um, so I kept going back and forth, but during that time I also went to go train in France, um, and Michelin star restaurants in France. And then also in, in Italy and Austria, my mother moved to Austria after a little while and, and we lived in Vienna and, um, Wow, your mom's job really helped yeah. dictate yeah. kind of all these different cuisines coming together, Absol- I imagine. Absolutely. Uh, it was an amazing experience, and I have a lot of gratitude to my mom, even though it, it's difficult moving around a lot. Yeah, I'm and, sure. And um, But because of that, I had a base. You know, mm-hmm. it's always, it's, I think it's really important to have a base and be able to go somewhere but have a, have a home that you can, or someone that, you know, a place that can be a refuge. Yeah, and then after that, uh, I was I grew up in a very spiritual kind of family, um, very not necessarily religious, but more of a prone to esoteric okay. philosophy and um, just ideas. What's it? What's an example? Well, we had grown up in more of a uh, a Christian, Judeo Christian um, kind of. I don't want to say Gnostic, but my father had always been into philosophy and into the power of thought, the power of subconscious mm-hmm. mind, and um, you creating your your world, or you be your thoughts being the initiator or manifester that help you, you know, create your destiny. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So, what age did your dad start saying, "Hey, manifest your, your <laughs> destiny"? Here. I think it was fourth grade, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, he gave me a book to read called "The Power of Your Subconscious Mind." Uh-huh. And I, I would go around fourth grade, you know, just I would have it with me, and I remember the fourth grade teacher just picking the book up and being like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Right. <laughs> what what yeah. age was this yeah. appropriate for? Yeah, really, exactly. Though? And so, no, I'd, I'm serious. I don't know. Like I, a college kid, probably something. <laughs> like that yeah but it, you know you start them young and you, you just have these ideas just kind of rolling around yeah and and whether you choose to um, follow them or not is up to was always up to me and he had studied with some uh, buddhists called rinpoches or lamas so they're kind of uh, either they can be monks or they can be priests yeah um, and, and while he was living in england and so that kind of uh literature as well as thought and words or just in my in my world and when i went to thailand obviously it's a, it's a buddhist country and the monastic community what's known as the sangha is this is very prevalent and it's kind of part of the tourist industry as well uh, okay yeah. so they you know you go to a temple and you maybe talk to a monk or right you know, you do that kind of thing but um i was really intrigued by the monastic lifestyle and it just hit a resounding chord within me, and I felt called to it. What did you do initially that you thought, "Whoa, this this is uh, speaking to me"? Like, what did you right. see, or you? Well, part of it um, in the morning, the monks do not cook for themselves. They go on an alms round, mm-hmm. so they're barefoot. They're walking around either Bangkok. Well, I was living in Bangkok, um, and they have an alms bowl. And the monks that I saw were, were just very regal. They were very obviously practicing what they were supposed to be practicing mm-hmm. or part of the philosophy or part of the, the way of thought and lifestyle. And 
it was just something was like, wow, that's really amazing. Of course, there are not good practicing monks. They're not good practicing people. So, you know, monks are people. So, you know, it's not like. What, what this, makes like, a bad practicing monk? <laughs> someone who doesn't follow their precepts. Right? Okay. You know? um, but also doesn't really take the lifestyle or the the meaning of why they're doing what they're doing, the whole principle of, of leaving the, not just the worldly life, but leaving um, relationships in terms of sensual sexual relationships and, Mm -hmm. you know, living a vow of chastity. How'd your fiance feel about this? Oh, it was rough. Yeah. Um, At the time (laughs) we, we broke up. Um, But then I, in the beginning it's, um, I should say that in Thailand, part of the male initiatory rite traditionally is to ordain for a rainy season, which is about three months. And that, I, I just felt, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that. Because the mentality behind it is that you are put under a severe set of discipline. So you need to get your shit together is basically what it comes down what's to. An, you, what's an example? Oh, well, you're waking up. You have a schedule. Yeah. So it, and it's very, in some ways, can be considered very militant. And some people say that a lot of the military regimes, particularly in Thailand, come from the monastic discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're waking up at 3.30 a.m., you're either chanting or you're doing chores, you're meditating, then you go on an alms round uh, traditionally. And then uh, you'll do more cleaning or more studying for a certain period. And then some uh, temples do one meal a day. Other temples just do two. If you're in a temple that does two, then you have your second meal. And then you're just either cleaning or doing, going through various temple responsibilities um, or uh, teaching or going out and doing community events. And then you go back, you do your evening chanting, and you're you know in bed. So yeah. it's really, you know, in the first five years, they you're not just allowed to just do whatever you want, you know, just, yeah, go have fun. Right. You're under, um, a, the, go the have guidance fun cleaning. Of, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much what I did. But it, you, the, everything that you do throughout the day is meant to be a reflection on what's happening internally. So if you're cleaning something, it's meant to also be an external reflection of our, how clean your internal environment is. So you're meant to think about, you know, how what is the quality and cleanliness of my thoughts, mm-hmm. of my emotions, of uh, the scatteredness of my mind. Is it is it very still and very focused, or is I, am I all over the place? I was gonna say, do you ever have those moments where? Uh, how old were you when you were doing this? I was 24 20s? when I started. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever have those moments when you're just cleaning away thinking, what am I doing? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, because I'm a white boy, you know, in the middle of just Thailand. <laughs> and there, I had to learn Thai. So yeah. That, that was, that was a, I have shed so many tears over that process of like, oh, hitting, my goodness. It. It's Because it's tonal. So one word, like cow, can have, uh, there's five tones and there's short and long vowels, so it can mm-hmm. have ten different meanings depending okay. on that. So that you really, it can be really frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> you know, for someone who's just like my voice is pretty, you know. Like, yeah, pretty. So level. you had to but, learn to read it too. Yes. Oh boy. Well, which is uh, a whole nother mind screw, I want to say. Right. Um, because the vowels can be either to the left, to the right, below, or above. Oh, of course. Yeah, <laughs> which uh, mirrors Sanskrit and the old Indian uh, okay. languages. So that's that's kind of the roots to it there. Yeah, and I really became just enamored with the the kind of lifestyle and um, the the mentality that you're doing something to make yourself a better person. Mm-hmm. 
and of course it doesn't have to be necessarily buddhist if i'm just taking myself you know out of that culture um but the actual practices of doing something whatever it is just doing it and and making it a part of your lifestyle to remember that you know you we have faults we have weaknesses and and working developing that you know whether it's professional or spiritual or both and a lot of people think oh you know you have to separate the spiritual life from your business or a professional life yeah and that's a huge mistake that the the two should be very intertwined um well i imagine your energy is gonna go in to yeah. feed one another exactly so. exactly but i think a lot of people think oh the spiritual life is something that's for ascetics for leaving the world for oh, uh, taking a respite essentially yeah. and and just kind of shunning materialism yeah and i think that there is an element of importance to to that that it's it's good to leave something for a time to, mm-hmm. real, to not be so attached to it because whether it's you know worrying about how many Facebook or Instagram likes we have, yes. or you know like what picture am I going to put up that's going to you know <laughs> right. attract, you know the things that we think about today are just kind so of like <laughs> so really absurd, but in in some ways necessary. It, that's the irony of it, and so it's not to to deface or to degrade that it's it's just to take a step back to realize you know okay i can i can just be a little attached detached to this right (laughs) and um and then be able to re-enter it in a very clear fresh uh manner a very clean manner uh with a clear head clear mind clear Mm -hmm. head head space so leading up to you what is it called entering the monkhood yeah yeah ordaining Ordaining, so, okay. Yeah. So leading up to that, was there any especially stressful oh, yeah. things in your <laughs> life that made you think, I, I got to get away? Um, there there was, but I, I am not a fan of running away from a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an orthopedic surgeon on, <laughs> okay. and his advice was always run towards your problems. Yeah, actually, that's amazing advice. And what the advice of one of my teachers um, when I was a monk he, I asked him one time, you know, how he's an amazing man with an incredible amount of wisdom. And he's been a monk for like 60 years. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, you know, how do you have so much wisdom? And the first thing he said was, I never ran away from a problem. I always confronted it. I always was there with it. I was yeah. not afraid of it. I always put myself, even if it was uncomfortable, into a situation I learned from it. Mm-hmm. And the second thing was that he knew how to control his mind and, and still his mind and use the power of his mind to its ultimate extent and potential, which is what his teacher taught him. So how long were you there for? I was a monk for three years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, there's a saying there. You say, you just go day by day, and day by day turn to three years. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Athletes yeah. say that, God, too. Oh, We're really? taking it one day at a time. Yeah. yeah. It's it's true. I mean, because you feel it's not that you don't really have a, a plan or you're not trying to create a future, but it's the focus is on making the day the best day and not being so caught up and worried about what's happened in the past or what's going to happen in the future. And, and not in a sense of rejecting it or avoiding it, but in a sense of what we really have is is the present moment. And that may sound kind of cliche, and that can get taken out of context really easily. But what we need to the the mentality there, or the the theory there, is that you're just you're really immersed, fully immersed, and fully present in, in what we're doing mm-hmm. in that moment. And if that changes at a certain time, like for me, it it, it eventually turned into me deciding that I'm not, I don't feel like. Um, it's right for me to be a monk right yeah. at this moment. Um, but the process of becoming a monk is, is very, very uh, intense. You know? I'm it's, sure. It's, uh, 
it's an amazing experience. And I, I would say for every man that they should become a monk or follow a celibate life for a certain amount of time. Uh-huh. Um, and, and for any woman, they should, uh, you know, think about that type of training or, or whether it's the nunhood or the monk life for, for a female. Um, because you really learn a lot about yourself. Okay. You really learn about what's lurking in the deep within you. What was lurking in the deep? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> um, the well, to be raw, the the desire to feel special, a desire to feel that my life is is unique. And you're talking to a comedian. Yeah, so. yeah. You know? <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. Um, but also, you know, what are my insecurities? What are my the things that are, are holding me back you know, mm-hmm. within myself or what is what is the the veil that I can't see throughout throughout my daily life unless I take time to sit back and reflect on you know habits it, it goes into habits into lifestyle and, and habits are one thing that are probably the most difficult thing to see within yeah. ourselves because it's it's been with us for so long and it's just second nature yeah and we all have blinders on yeah. and people yeah closest to us or even not that close can usually see it right away exactly but for the for us to see it ourselves we're like what the hell are you talking right, about right. Like, yeah, no fuck off dude <laughs> yeah you know whatever it is they just um and and one of my teachers would say it's it's difficult for one to uh see one's own habits it's difficult for a person who's a friend to have the courage to tell us about these habits mm-hmm. because we need to really trust and feel good with that person first. And it has to be in the right way often enough for us to be able to receive it. Then it's even more difficult for us to take that advice and actually like Im- implement it in yeah. our life. Change your habits. Yeah. And then it's even difficult to continue that implementation until it changes the habit. So we're automatically up against this kind of, you know, tidal wave in a way. But what matters is the day-to-day, you know, okay. process of let's, you know, I'm, I'm choosing to do this. I'm choosing to make this a part of my mentality in mm-hmm. my life. And I want to, and of course, the most important thing is just the appreciation for that this is important. Whether, whatever it is in profession, like in cooking, you know, you have to really appreciate the the excellence of making good food instead of just slop. And not that slop is necessarily bad, but it's just whatever your your level of excellence is, is of striving towards reaching that and what are the, the steps towards reaching that goal. And goes into kind of what, you know, seeing yourself and seeing your limitations, not necessarily as limitations, but as things that you can work, we can work on too. Mm-hmm. And how much of that habit changing is a constant reevaluation uh, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a constant reevaluate reevaluation because it's so easy to hit a plateau. Mm-hmm. It's so easy to think, "Oh, and I'm good now." Right. You know, right. I, I'm, I I'm imagine. Good, you know? I don't need to do anything else. I've yeah. done it. That's really scary, you know. That's dangerous because I feel like there's a, there's an unlimited level of potential in us as humans Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't limit ourselves to oh i'm good now right you know that i don't need to i mean it's okay if you feel like you know you're content that's one thing but it's it doesn't mean that that's it Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that there's not 
you know, more training to be done. And, and that doesn't mean that we need to train anything. You know, some esoteric philosophies say, well, we just need to return to our original true nature of who we are as humans um, behind the veils and behinds all this. And we, there's nothing to attain. There's nothing to achieve because we're already truly that. It's just sifting through the, the garbage and getting rid of the garbage. And then who we really are will naturally blossom out. And, and that, that is an element. But there's still the, the training to have the disciplinal discipline to say, oh, I need to get rid of this garbage or I need to, you know, let yeah. go. I need so to how do you go. do that uh, <laughs> on a regular basis? Well, one is finding a good teacher, finding someone who can, or a good friend, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to help be like a backup support system. Okay, that, you know that's really key. The second is is to get the training, get the the theory, get the the ideas, you know, fully solidified within your mentality, so you understand what you're really doing. And that doesn't mean just go take, you know, like a two hour workshop and then right. like, good, you know? <laughs> right. you know, it's like, and then it's not you bad. Continuing but, education <laughs> credits yeah, for, yeah. for the monk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and then it's just doing it. Yeah. It's like Nike says, you just, just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, not to sponsor Nike at all, but it's just to say that there's an <laughs> element there. There is an <laughs> element of simplicity yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, make some forward progress either way. Exactly, and whatever you choose, commit to it. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, I, I think the danger of you know, being a jack of all trades is that you're a master of none. I was none. just gonna say, and and dispersing your energy too wide or too thin is is depleting. Mm-hmm. So knowing what is important to focus on at that time, or what you feel most passionate about, what feels most alive, and and keeps keep your, your your blood thriving through your body oh, okay um, to focus on that to master that and then when you have other interests to you know when you get to a certain point then you can feel like okay I, I kind of got an idea I can give a little more energy to something else that I'm interested in yeah and at the same time you know still rev- revisit that level of of uh, excellence that we've achieved through that one interest um, it's it's just, it's really amazing it's amazing to not have to worry about sex. <laughs> do not have you know don't have to worry about oh how's this person thinking about me right or, or how am i um how am i being received by them or you know oh there's a little dynamic or synergy yeah. happening it's just to put that aside and be like that's not in the most important thing in a relationship it can be a beautiful and amazing thing you know i married a goddess so and i'm she's a yoga goddess so you yeah. know, I'm, I, I pretty i hit it pretty well you know in my <laughs> life but um yeah, that's kind of like that Seinfeld episode where <laughs> George stops having sex and he just becomes a genius. Yeah, there you go. You know, and, and I wouldn't you know, say all monks are geniuses, that's <laughs> for sure. Um, but there is an element when practiced properly, like anything, um, that when you can put your time to something, you you can excel at it very rapidly. Mm-hmm. And I, I wrote an article recently um, that was about monasticism versus a damn good shag. <laughs> okay. And and I had watched a movie called Whiplash. Yeah. And which I thought was an amazing documentary, or not documentary. Oh. But amazing movie. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? You know, I, no, but I, I kind of look at it as a documentary in a sense because it, you're you're going through this process with this kid who's learning how to be an amazing drummer, mm-hmm. and the acting one is fantastic. But what he had to do to reach the level of excellence that he wanted to be um, was a great sacrifice. 
and people, you know, they look at kind of monks or or the monastic lifestyle or spiritual people as kind of this ethereal re- rejects of society in a way that they're just kind of they've they've we're here in the material world and yeah. we're making it happen and you guys are just rejecting us and calling us bad. Well, or that's blah, blah, interesting. Blah. I feel like there's I'm sure there's a lot of people that think that way, but I think there's a lot of people that also think ah they got it figured out. <laughs> that's true too. That's true too. Um, but especially when I was came back from being a monk, I was amazed that people are like, "Why were you a monk? That's a waste of time." Oh, okay. You know what? You gave up sex. Like that's stupid. You know. And some people think like sex is a way to enlightenment. Right. Um, and you know, <laughs> bless so the opposite of monasticism in a way. Yeah. Um, and I, I was intrigued by that. Not to judge. It was just I was intrigued by the mentality that's out there. And. And I wanted to kind of give a different angle or perspective to say, like in Whiplash, that kid, he sacrifices personal relationships with his girlfriend mm-hmm. and said, I don't think that we should be together because I want to reach a certain level and I don't want to hurt you because in the end, I am going to have to choose my drum set over you Yeah. Um, at certain times. And, and that's just gonna how it's going to be. And people in the world, you know, musicians were like, we kind of commend that we kind of like oh good you know he made a sacrifice wow yeah. you know but when looking at the monastic lifestyle they're kind of like bah, you know a lot of people not like you said there are people who's like oh you got to figure it out and of course you know there are people like that but for the other people who don't think that it, it's in order to reach a level of excellence there has to be some type of sacrifice and you don't have to sacrifice relationships mm-hmm. but you know my mother is a musician and as well, and she said that when, if she wanted to really become a professional musician, she would be on the piano eight, eight to ten, twelve hours a day. Yeah, wow. And and that's what musicians do. So that kind of mentality of what it takes to become excellent is the same principle in monasticism. You know, it's it's like going to a school for spirituality. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and spirituality is is considered like an art and a science as well. There's yeah. there is a, a school and monasticism is like a university or a school for one who's interested, who's called to that type of lifestyle, man or woman. Well what are you trying to become great at? Uh, spirituality and well I, I would your say connection with the world or yeah, you could say that. Um, spirituality is kind of this like umbrella term. Right. That's why I used um, it. <laughs> yeah. It really depends on one's life view and religious view. Mm-hmm. And if they are Christian or they're uh, a Jew or a Muslim or they're Hindu or a Buddhist or a Jain, um, that there are certain goals or certain states that you can reach that are the the goal or the the attainment or I guess one way to say it is there it is the the direction that you're trying to work yourself in as a person to align align who you are with with that goal whether it's be union with God union with Brahma um, re, re, attaining full enlightenment mm-hmm. um, going to heaven. Yeah, <laughs> or whatever it may be, that there's there's a process or a path that you have to walk down. Yeah, 
And in walking down that path, there's a uh, the fruit of that path, or there's a destination point. Oh, okay. So going to be a monk or going to be you know pursue the spiritual life is learning how to walk down that path. What tools you need? What's the theory, the philosophy? What's the practice mm-hmm. so that you reach your uh, destination or you reach your your fruit and you, so you how, eat your fruit? <laughs> how did you decide that you had been in it long enough? Um, it's a very it's a personal question. Um, but I would say, you know, just because someone is a monk doesn't mean that they're enlightened. Mm-hmm. When you have all this information, you know how what would be a good way to act, an ethical, moral way to act. Do you choose to do it? Like when we have a choice, you really find out who you really are. Yeah. And um, so, what'd you find out? I found out that the training did a lot of work, but I have a lot more work to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, um, and that's up to me, you know. I th- traditionally they say the way to honor your teacher is just to practice what they've taught you, mm-hmm. whether whoever you are, whether you're a monk or a layperson or Billy Bob Joe or you know you're living in in Europe, wherever it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know you if you practice and honor, that's how you honor you know the information that you've been given. That's really that's interesting because again the orthopedic surgeon that i talked to he said you're a reflection of your mentors mm-hmm. and yep. you can build on that on what they taught you but you're gonna pick up the things that you like along the way so yeah absolutely and i i'm in a way i'm very traditional uh because i honor i honor my teachers i honor my mentors that's really ingrained in you and in, in southeast asian culture mm-hmm. and indian culture we are who we are because we have been given this information. Yes, we've we've strived for it, we've looked for it, and uh, we've used it in our life. But if it wasn't for the people who took the time to, you know, f- learn that information, refine it, get to know it, and then be able to teach it, because it's mm-hmm. one thing to know something; it's another thing to be able to teach it to someone else. Um, that 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 process, more so than the ego of the teacher the actual process and the principle of that being passed down and us being able to live a life and make a life, make a living out of that information or that knowledge. Yeah. That's a real blessing. And that attitude of gratitude is really important. So has that, when you're cooking, made it very easy to help teach other people? I I think... Yes, it has when the opportunity has come that someone wants to learn something. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't personally go out and say, you know, come here, let me let me teach you something. Okay. You know, yeah. I, <laughs> I I really avoid that. And because it's not about me at the end of the day. It's it's I have to live by example and the example that I believe is the best example for myself. Mm-hmm. And of not about what people think about me or or their perception of me and my reputation or a sense of fame that of course it, it helps to to be known and to be good at what you do and be to be known as as being good at what you do but i think the the focus should be on am i really practicing to the best of my ability given the information and knowledge that i've been imparted mm-hmm. and that i care about so how has what you learned in the monkhood informed your cooking oh yeah for for sure i in in the danger of uh getting myself in trouble um there is a huge pull in the culinary world to make food this kind of luxury kind of like gourmet food snobbery 
And I think that that's really missing the purpose of why we eat food. Mm -hmm. Um, It does not mean that food cannot be delicious, that it can't be refined, that it can't be prepared in a really amazing way. And a lot of the chefs, you know, I worked in three Michelin star restaurants. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not to to boast. It's just to say that. It's nothing to sneeze at either, (laughs) right? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's. It's something that I learned or was able to put myself in an environment of that's the, you know, at that time, that was the pin, one of the pinnacle restaurants in the world to yeah. be at in Paris. And, and it was amazing. At the same time, there was so much stress and anger and abuse that happened in the kitchen that it's not that it turned me off to it. I wasn't really worried about that. I was concerned with what type of vibe we're putting in the food okay and the preparation of the food because food is a living organism it's a living thing Mm -hmm. and our bodies are living organisms and we adapt to what we put inside of us what we put in the you know what you you are what you eat and that that kind of thought process brought me to thinking, and I continued that thought process while I was a monk, and I, and I felt like it got more refined and honed in the sense that food is really medicine. You know, our first our first medicine that we should really be focusing on is not a pill or not something that a pharmacist gives us. Mm-hmm. Is what food are we putting into our body? Where does it come from? How is it harvested and grown? Who? How is it prepared? And then how do we put that into our body? And I think that that is starting to come around, you know, with eating local or eating more organic. And uh, it's necessary because food that has all of these, uh, either not just pesticides, but all of these kind of chemicals that we use to preserve food, and especially our American culture, not to dog on America, is is very, it directly affects health. Mm-hmm. It, it, there are, it's amazing to me that people who are more concerned or like have health issues, yet they go and eat garbage. Yeah. And they're wondering why they're not getting better or why they have these issues. It's just common sense. And in traditionally in um, traditional medicine in Southeast Asia or even in, in uh, Asia, food is considered one of is considered medicine it's considered an important part of our everyday health mm-hmm. not just you know taking herbs or taking uh pills that are prepared by a doctor yeah it actually starts with what our food is so knowing how to combine foods properly how to put different foods together so that it uh, assimilates into our body very easily so our body processes it easily so we digest uh in proper order so there's not limited amount of gas limited amount of um just trouble in our digestive system makes it more pleasant for everyone everyone around around, (laughs) and then you just feel more alive you know you feel like you feel more clear-headed you feel more just you know willing to talk your brain your synapses is working better it's it's it makes more sense and and of course you know i'm intrigued with Medicine, because traditionally medicine would come as plants, would come as you know, roots, right. would come as uh, animal, different parts of animals. Um, and that's really interesting to me is to kind of not necessarily go back and say, oh, the, the way that the ancients did it is perfect and we're just screwing everything up right now. Yeah. Of course, like, for example, my mother just had to have TAVR uh, stint surgery with her heart. Oh, okay. And um, 
she was very fortunate to be take part in a, a research project by NYU, and they had one of the leading doctors in the world with DAVR surgery, mm-hmm. and they used a bovine valve, and uh, that is non-invasive, so it went through the leg, and uh, so it's not open heart surgery. And then I remember the day before, I had to carry her up steps. Yeah, you know? she was so winded. Three hours after her surgery, she's walking a quarter mile without being winded. That is incredible. That's that a is miracle. unreal. Yeah, it's re- it's a really unreal on so many levels. Yeah. The first, obviously, the result, but even from the beginning, go up through the leg to the heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> aortic vein going up to the, it's just like, but it's genius, and at the same time, it's um, it, it's it, it that cannot be looked over and to say, especially for traditionalists to say, oh, how they did it in the past. Um, in cooking, you know, going back to the question of of you know food and and my how has the monastic lifestyle changed my view you know in in traditional medicine where the body is looked at in terms of five elements sometimes six elements depending on the the text of water or earth water uh, fire and wind and Mm -hmm. then um space those are the five minutes and then uh, the sixth element is consciousness so that depends on the text that you talk to and people think, oh, the earth, like, you know, pile of dirt. Okay, you know? yeah. And that's, that's not, that's an incorrect way of looking at the element of earth. Earth is considered to be solidity, to be something that is, you can't pass through, that has a, a predominance of earth element. Mm-hmm. Or water is something that's very fluent, that is uh, aqueous, aqueous, or aquaceous. And um, it, it can move, but it's still its own kind of unit wind is considered uh, anything that moves anything that uh goes from one place to another is under the influence and element of wind or fire is like electricity Mm -hmm. um or digestion is considered under fire because it's transforming Uh, it's the the function of transforming something into something else yeah so it's not just one and then another these all these four elements kind of interact with each other and that's traditionally how medicine was looked at and the body was looked at even with uh socrates he looked at it in the body and medicine in terms of four elements. So this knowledge has been around for a long time. Um, and because our body is made of these uh, uh, compilation of these various elements, that it's important to look at the body in that way because you're taking your sense of attachment away from your body. You know, like We can't stop ourselves from aging. Mm-hmm. That's a part of life. We can't stop ourselves from dying. That's a part of life. So looking at yes it's a you know the the gluttons of the world they say oh well then we should eat as much as we can (laughs) and you know pleasure ourselves as much as we can (laughs) right you know but there's another uh view or another worldview philosophy that says that we shouldn't be so attached to that we can we can do them or engage in them but not be attached Mm -hmm. and and know the distance and also know that our body is not really who we are, that we have this meat suit. We have this, this meat suit. Yeah, we have this this machinery, <laughs> right. you know, that, that we've been given from our parents and from then the death from the beginning. Um, but it's not ours. It, it's we use it, but we're not the masters of it. It will be returned to the earth and it'll be dissolved into the the elements of the earth again. Okay. Inevitably. Inevitably. Yeah. We inhabit it for a time and then 
consciousness or spirit, if one believes that, then that, that does something else after the body dies. Um, so to look at food and what the earth provides for us in abundance as, as medicine, as, as a way to help these elements function more properly, mm-hmm. so that with the, with the intention that we will do as much good in the world as possible with this sustenance that we've been given yeah and how to combine or put things together so that it doesn't make the body feel uh really sluggish or really just nasty or unclean or gassy or whatever There's yeah many, you know things but makes you feel alive makes you feel clear makes you feel like okay i'm i'm not putting too much of an impact in like in the world meaning like i'm not taking too much i'm not taking too much food yeah and i'm not not eating enough that's that's pretty fascinating yeah. and uh i assume that kind of goes with being a good person absolutely and yeah. that tying into the earth uh i've talked to another chef and he really talked about the flavors that are combined on a plate and he bases it all off of what's in season yes. things come in season at the same time and they absolutely. make great pairings and i imagine that kind of goes it's in with the same automatically concept. connected it's it is one in the same yeah absolutely and i think that eating seasonally eating locally um to where we're like based you know that is really important in terms of health also with weather you know every weather changes throughout the day and our body is affected by the weather and knowing how to use food to help balance ourselves when there is imbalance in the weather yeah um Oh, so, that's interesting. Yeah, and using different tastes uh, that each taste affects organs differently. Yeah. Affects the different systems of the body differently, like salty compared to bitter, compared to sour, compared to uh, sweet. Mm-hmm. They all have different um, effects on the internal environment of our body. Um, not just the organs themselves, but just how everything functions. And you can create a balance by using taste as well. Yeah. Not just by, of course, by the actual nutritional elements of the plants or animals, but also the taste and how to combine those things together so that they create a certain effect for that individual. Right. We're all different people. Right. So, <laughs> well, so, yeah. you're in a restaurant. Yeah. How do you how do you meet that? That's need for. That's really hard, and that's pleasing why pleasing the masses, I guess. Exactly, and that's why people go to different chefs. Yeah. Because people say, okay, this I like this restaurant because I like the flavors that this chef on a standard level, you mm-hmm. know, on a standard level of production gives out to the restaurant or to the customers. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my dreams would be eventually to open up some type of cafe where someone would come in and food would be made particularly for them in that element or that uh, level or where they're at. Okay. Meaning that uh, there would be a doctor at hand and oh, wow. a traditional doctor yeah. who, would, who would give them a diagnosis and then they would go to the kitchen and they would, you know, certain foods would be prepared for that person individually. That's a really interesting concept. Yeah. And of course there would be, you know, you have to, th- that would be really labor intensive. Yeah. Just doing it. And, so time it have and, to be, and time yeah. consuming. Absolutely. So it, there'd have to be a middle ground of certain foods and things that are uh, seasonal, local, and uh, well-raised. Organic's great, but... It almost seems like that would be really well combined with a spa because then a person could come in, talk about how they're feeling, 
then they have the time exactly. to uh, exactly. go relax, get a yeah. massage. Wow, you got you do massage. Yeah, it sounds like you're building all these elements. Yeah, to that's this. it's been in the, my mind. Um, it's just a matter of of timing and and finding the financial backing for it. Yeah, you know, and I'd want to do it in a place where it can make a big impact and, mm-hmm. and help people, not just to be in a rich environment, but it's just there. Ha- money is a necessary part of life. Yeah, and so to have that type of uh, support and also clientele so that that could become a reality. And then of course, you know, have, have the, the scale, the sliding scale when it, when it's necessary so that we can help everybody. Yeah. But yeah, it's absolutely, uh, because of my background in culinary arts, but also when I was a monk, I really, uh, became attracted to Thai massage and Thai traditional body work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that has, you know, it really helped my body when I was a monk too, because you're yeah. sitting for sometimes eight to twelve hours oh, a day. Oh yeah, and you can imagine how tight you can get, you know. Talk to that. anybody that works in an <laughs> office. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So the same principle of combining food with uh, proper body care, and and not just like a center, because I think that that's, you know, there's a lot of centers out there, and it's great, and I support people to go do check those out, but also to have a place that really focuses on the individual needs of a person. Uh, with food and with using food very intelligently and mm-hmm. in a way that's, you know, not to make myself like new or special, you know, which is <laughs> one of my issues, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But um, but to also just combine, you know, what I really feel that I care about, what yeah. I'm good at, and the place, the restaurant that I work at, Metze Bistro and Bar. I, well, the reason I chose that place is because of the chef's uh, focus, philosophy, and how he uses. Uh, the farm seasonally and locally like we have farmers deliver food directly to the restaurant yeah or even with the meats you know they bring in the pretty much the whole animal and we break it down in the restaurant oh we, wow we that's use pretty everything cool head to tail so yeah um and that's amazing it's pretty nice when it's two miles away three miles away yeah and they deliver you know 300 pound pig and yeah break, break can't get down. much more fresh than that it can't you know and or things that have been picked that day that yeah morning. and you just call up the farmer and be like yo bill i need some i need some mint i need some scallions right whatever, and he's just pick it and yeah just walk it over you know yeah, yeah. so that's that's uh, important and i think going back to that having the first thing that really needs to happen is people need to have an appreciation for that they need to understand the value of food as medicine they understand why it's important to even spend a little more money to support the local farms, to support what's seasonal, what's grown around you. Because, you know, even if you want to look at it more spiritually, that the earth is providing for us in that location what we need to eat to live in balance mm-hmm. in life. Cool. Well, yeah. I think that's a great spot to yeah. end on. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for doing the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. Okay, that was Joshua, and that is the podcast. If you want to find out more about him and all the things that he's doing, you can go to joshuagiento.com, and I'll also put a link up on the Design of Everything Facebook page. While you're at it, you can follow the Design of Everything on Instagram. If you want to send me an email or you have thoughts about the podcast, some feedback, maybe you know someone like Josh that's especially interesting, Send me an email, thedesignofeverything at gmail.com. And until we meet up next week, why don't you treat yourself to some creativity in your own lives? <laughs>